Support for the ShakeOut podcast comes from Port San Antonio, a technology campus where nearly 4,000 new jobs in aerospace, cybersecurity, robotics, and other fields have been created in the last three years. And in collaboration with the San Antonio Museum of Science and Technology and other partners, the port will be home to a comprehensive eSports arena and innovation center in early 2022. More at techportsa.com. The United States government passed more than $2 trillion in economic relief this spring for businesses and residents reeling from the COVID-19 pandemic. But if you ask people what the rest of the federal government strategy was for abating the disease, you might not get a clear answer, with much of it left up to the states. But there is one area that the feds have a clearly articulated policy, and it's travel restrictions at the border. I'm Paul Flav, and this is The Shakeout. Today, we look at the economic impact of COVID and the implications of one of the only federal policies trying to stem the spread, the border shutdown. We've reached an agreement agreement with both Canada and Mexico to limit uh, limit non-essential travel across our land borders. This press conference back in March proposed a policy that would sever several Texas communities along the southern border, where cities grow out from the border, mirroring one another. We had family on both sides, businesses on both sides, and relationships and culture flowed uh, as easily as the Rio Grande River did. Unless you were traveling for education, the military, or transporting products for big supply chains like the auto industry, you weren't getting across. Not for Mexico, anyway. But as we'll see in this episode, there are a number of gray areas, latitude, and, well, loopholes. Like for blood. We're here in the Department of Plasma. We come from Piedras Negras, Coahuila, to donate plasma. That's right. Mexican nationals can cross the border to donate plasma, to sell their blood for cash. And like I told you, we stay here because we're restricted from going anywhere else. Here is outside of one of the southern border's 43 plasma donation centers in Eagle Pass, Texas. And Delfina Garcelazo is saying that even though they travel here to sell their blood for as little as $40 a donation, now, because of the pandemic shutdown, they can't stay and spend any of the money here. We could come donate, stop by the stores and shop, and then we would go back and we would leave the money here because the pay they give us here, we would spend it here. Now it's different. We come and go straight back. The United States is happy to take Delfina's blood as part of its $21 billion plasma industry, which in turn sells it to big pharmaceutical companies. But the message is under the border closure, their blood may be welcome, but their money is no good here. And that's exacerbating an already bad situation for brick-and-mortar small businesses suffering because of the pandemic. It's just one example of how the border closure falls most on the people who can afford it the least, on both sides of the border. And it's just one of the many inconsistencies, one of the bizarre facets of the policy that affects an area where the Dallas Fed says a half a trillion dollars in economic transactions happen each year and where 80% of our Mexican imports come through. Mexico is one of our top two trading partners. U.S. officials said they were trying to stem the tide of COVID. But now, nine months later, what has closing the border achieved? And has it hurt more than it helped? That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of The Shakeout. 
So let's get to it. So as we just heard, shopping is considered non-essential. So if you're driving across one of Texas's international bridges, Customs and Border Protection officers will finger wag and send you back. But as one bank executive told me and my colleague, these communities are one city a lot of the times, with two names and in two countries, Brownsville and Matamoros, McAllen and Reynosa, Laredo and Nuevo Laredo, Eagle Pass and Piedras Negras. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people um, actually live in Mexico, but then cross over on a regular basis to come work in the U.S. This is my colleague Maria Mendez. She reports on business for Texas Public Radio from Laredo. It's her work that we're going to be relying on for much of this episode. Thanks so much for all your reporting, Maria. Thank you, of course. So, I mean, I just want to figure out who really is affected by these restrictions. Well, I want to talk about what I've seen in border communities. I went down to Eagle Pass recently. See the closures, this closed, this closed. That's Jaime Rodriguez. He's a business owner in Eagle Pass. You know, on a Tuesday morning downtown Eagle Pass, it's pretty much very little traffic. He knows all too well that people are keeping their money in Mexico. His family's grocery store is a few blocks away from one of Eagle Pass's international bridges and from the two plasma donation centers downtown. We drive by the area now decorated for the holidays. The store closed. Among the many empty or boarded up stores with for rent or sale signs on almost every street. He's, a, he's on the brinks of closing here. Everything's closing. You got the same type of little, uh, I guess they call it Chinese import stores. Are those the ones where people from Mexico come and mm-hmm. buy and then resell? And resell. Mm-hmm. Some wholesale clothing and flower shops remain, but the bulk of their customers have been missing for more than nine months now. So here's our international bridge. When the U.S. and Mexico responded to the coronavirus pandemic in March, they closed down the border to all but essential travel. That essential travel includes trade, education, military or diplomatic work, and healthcare, including plasma donations but not shopping or tourism. So Rodriguez and his family say they have seen Eagle Pass's downtown businesses dwindle. You know, it's sad to see to see the heart of any community. You know, take take the hits that you're seeing financially in this area. There's only one main street of all of Eagle Pass and it's it's sad to see to see it go down the way it is. You know, it's thrived through almost everything else and it's supported by the Mexican shopper and Eagle Grocery, which sits on Main Street, has been a pillar of the area since it was first established by Rodriguez's grandfather and his brother in 1939. That's an old picture of the store here. That's my grandfather, Chick Kaysen, when the store opened. On the upper level, old pictures of the store and memorabilia line the walks. These are recognition we talked about from the governor. We've been recognized by the Senate and the House. The store has weathered multiple disasters. It's pretty flooded, then it burned. We able to rebuild, but COVID's got us. And even the rise of big supermarkets. Rodriguez's dad, Benny, says it's because their customers from Piedras Negras are loyal. We are twin sisters. We only have the Rio Grande between us and all of our customers who come here. We don't advertise because why? We have had the same prices for years. People come in with the right amount of change in their hands to buy whatever they come to buy. Without them, they've taken a hit. For the month of November 2020, 
We had 15,696 customers come through our door. November 2019, we had 23,353 customers walk through our door. We're missing 6,000 customers that didn't come through our store because the bridge is closed. They're baffled by the restrictions, which allow Mexican nationals to freely fly into the U.S. I guess coronavirus is flying an airplane, I guess. I don't know. And for Americans and legal permanent residents to cross back and forth, though federal authorities have tried to discourage non-essential travel. Uh, we're one community, so I would say 50% of our locals travel to Mexico and travel back on a daily basis. Whether it's for, uh, for food, for haircuts, for doctor's appointments. I don't know who is setting those guidelines or the standards, but um, it, it needs to be addressed, it needs to be changed before all the border communities disappear on us. It's insane that a government policy could be what kills a company that's been around since the 30s, one that's, you know, survived floods and fires. Yeah, all along the Texas border, small businesses are struggling because month after month, these restrictions keep getting extended. And a lot of them had been hoping that they would be lifted or eased by, um, you know, the winter holidays. But the latest extension lasts through January 21st. And I talked to Jerry Schwebel, who is the executive vice president at Laredo's um, IBC Bank. We relied on, on that holiday shopper. You know, we're going to lose the, the Christmas shopper. And so all of that are, is one more nail in the economic coffin of many of these merchants and, and, uh, and retail establishments. And he says border businesses are resilient. You know, they've lived through other challenges like the peso devaluations and even violence along the border and the rise of online retail. But the current uncertainty is crushing them. Most of these businesses are small. They're not accustomed to coming out of the newspaper and filing for bankruptcy. They just fade away and disappear, don't open, shut down and don't open up. Man, just fade away. That's that's a powerful idea, especially when you consider that so many of these businesses are funded on people's credit cards. They don't get traditional bank loans. I mean, these aren't just businesses. They're people's livelihoods. That's right. When businesses are this small, calculating the impact of the restrictions is tricky. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting that these usually very reliable metrics aren't really capturing the economic picture for some of these smaller businesses. So how what what are some good data points that we can see? Who is looking at this? Well, economists looking at this data say that it's still reflecting larger unemployment checks and federal relief checks. The worst is yet to come on those metrics. But the pain is very real in places like Eagle Pass and Laredo. For example, I went to Laredo's outlet malls on Black Friday, and they were pretty busy. There were a lot of cars in the parking lot, but they all pretty much had Texas license plates. But the American shoppers didn't trickle to Laredo's downtown, according to business owners like Yvette. Her store sits on a strip next to the outlets, but remained empty most of the day. Some people will come out, people from, like from out of town, or some people will remember that there's a downtown, but then when they look, there's like only in our space, there's like three stores open, and they're like, no, we don't want to go there. You know what I mean? They go back to the outlets. <laughs> if it weren't for the bridges closed, then people would come to us because those people do come downtown. 
From April to September of this year, pedestrian traffic plummeted by about 62% at Texas's 13 border ports of entry. That's according to a report from the Baker Institute for Public Policy. That report also estimates that border counties have lost almost $2 billion in retail sales because of these travel restrictions. And the impact for the state of Texas is clearly visible in border cities. Remember Jaime Rodriguez, the grocery store owner? Well, he pointed to these parking lots for these businesses that in normal times would take uh, Mexican nationals who've come through the port of entry and want to go to other Texas cities. These businesses like here, these um, viajes, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven vans, eight vans parked, and they would take uh, Mexican nationals into San Antonio on a daily basis, you know, go shop and then pick them up, come back, and his vans have been stopped since April. The parking lot of these businesses was full with the vans, meaning that they're not taking anybody anywhere right now. And I also spoke to the mayor of Eagle Pass, Luis Fuentes, and he says that the bridge revenue is down by 40 to 50 percent. And he's especially frustrated that the federal government has prioritized replacing a border fence in the area. Um, they awarded a construction contract for about $46 million. And that's why I've been saying, you know, this $50 million could go a long way to help out these businesses that the government is hurting because they're not allowing uh, Mexican nationals to cross over. And pretty much the same thing is happening in Laredo, where border wall construction also looms. Businesses there are hurting from these restrictions. And we don't sell much, like... It's, it's hard. People don't come by. People just pass by. That's Ricardo Arce. He opened a t-shirt and printing shop in downtown Laredo in February, right before the pandemic. Should we do this print? Right now he's going to do a shirt. So immediately he lost pretty much all foot traffic from the Mexican nationals that would normally come every day. And he says it's hard to get locals to come downtown. He has had a few big orders recently for t-shirts for the dead. He's had to stay up to complete requests for commemorative t-shirts for funerals. Wow, that's incredible. The fact that the only area of his business that is seeing any growth is is for funeral t-shirts. That says a lot. Yeah, but even with that, he says he's still counting every penny and that he's behind on rent for the shop because he had to close down for almost two months under stay-at-home orders. I got the mortgage at the house, too. and It's me and my wife here. We try to meet the ends, but it's kind of hard. So out of concern for these businesses, elected border officials had been calling for the restrictions to either be completely lifted or for them to at least be eased. And in October, it looks like that might actually happen, and some local governments started preparing for a possible reopening of bridges. But then Mexico and Canada requested for the restrictions to be extended, you know, as we saw coronavirus cases rise again. And then last week, the head of the Department of Homeland Security announced that they would once again be extending the restrictions through January 21st. But there are still people like uh, Congressman Henry Cuellar, a Laredo Democrat, that think that there's a way to do this. There's a way to allow the traditional flow of Mexican nationals. Um, And he hopes that with, you know, the progress on the COVID-19 vaccine, that the federal government will actually take him up on his offer for coronavirus health screenings at border ports of entry. But in the meanwhile, 
some of those companies might be moot because some of them are going to be closing up and some have already closed up. And that's what I'm worried about. What about all those people that used to work for those businesses on the border? What about all those entrepreneurs that put money to, you know, their life savings to open up a small business? Some of them are going to lose so much money that they won't be able to open up anymore after this. So for now, all these people along the border are going to have to wait until next year and maybe even February to see if border bridges can be reopened and they can have Mexican nationals cross over again. Maria, thank you so much for this. Thank you for letting me talk about this. Maria Mendez bringing us the view from our southern border businesses about a closure that's crippled their daily customer base. When we come back, we travel more than 600 miles along that border to Juarez, to see what the impact is on the Mexican side. I'm Paul Flav. This is The Shakeout, and we'll be right back. Immigration. I think we need to all get in before the wall goes up. Health. The Promotora, they have all the resources that can get them the help that they need. Art. There's this kind of subversiveness to it, right? We cover all these topics and more on Fronteras as we examine issues along the border and beyond. I'm Norma Martinez. Download Fronteras where you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to The Shakeout. I'm Paul Flav. As we just heard, the border closure is exacerbating the damage of the pandemic on brick-and-mortar stores on the U.S. side. Now we want to turn to the Mexican side of the border. Angela Cacherga with public radio station KTEP has been following this story since March when the Texas-Mexico border was closed to all but essential travel. The El Paso-Juarez border is the largest binational region in the Western Hemisphere. So, Angela, how are people, vendors, and businesses coping on the Mexican side? Well, Paul, it's been just as devastating on the Mexican side. And the main artery connecting the two sides is South El Paso Street and Avenida Juarez in Mexico. So that's a good place to take the pulse of the border economy. And I've been crossing back and forth into Mexico, taking proper precautions, of course, since the border shutdown. Now, right now, you can cross the International Bridge, and on the other side, you still have shops and street vendors catering to people from the U.S., but they're really struggling. Alberto Moreno is one of those roving street vendors, and he sells beautiful hand-stitched tablecloths that are usually big sellers this time of year because of all the Thanksgiving and Christmas gatherings. But right now, he says sales are down by 80 to 90 percent, and he blames the virus. And of course, that's why the border is closed to all but essential travel. Now, pharmacies and dentists are still seeing some business because medical is one of those essential reasons people can come across the border. But things have dropped off significantly. People go to Mexico for much lower-cost prescription drugs, and patients from across the U.S., 
routinely visit dentists in Mexico because the cost is so much lower, especially for those who need extensive work. Now, Margarita Cruz is one of those dentists in Juarez. She says her office sees a lot of patients from the U.S., but right now, because of the pandemic, they're not willing to come across the border. Even local El Paso patients are reluctant because bridge lanes are not fully staffed by U.S. Customs and Border Protection Officers, or CBP, and that means much longer lines to get back home, hours in some cases. Now, a lot of the small vendors who used to cater to those border-crossing customers and patients from the U.S. who make day trips into Mexico are really suffering. Maria Velasquez sells snacks from a cart, and she and many others are just hanging on by a thread. She says if she does not work, her family does not eat. So either she'll die from the virus or hunger, as she puts it, and there's no help from the Mexican government, she points out. Even so, she's relying on her faith, saying God will help us all get through this, and she's thankful for every day she's alive and able to work. I mean, the impact of the pandemic's not just affecting these brick-and-mortar stores, but also the informal economy. Workers, customers, vendors who crisscross the border to shop, do jobs, and get services. What are you seeing there? Well, Paul, this shutdown has really been like a natural experiment, obviously one that nobody wanted because of the pandemic, but it shows us just how interdependent border cities are. And the cities on the Mexican side are much larger all along the border. And people are now forced to adapt, rely more on each other, or find new ways of getting by without crossing the border. Now, border residents are resilient, and people are using whatever they can and whoever they can to get what they need. You know, back on the El Paso side, I, I recently met Erlinda Santillana, and she was doing some shopping for a granddaughter using a video chat. Here's how that sounded. Now that granddaughter in Torreon, nearly 600 miles south of the Texas-Mexico border, is in the state of Coahuila, and you can hear her on the other end of the phone line on that video chat being very picky about which boots she wants her grandmother to buy. Now Santiana is a legal U.S. resident living in El Paso, so she can still go back and forth to Mexico because the U.S. government cannot stop U.S. citizens or legal residents from coming back home. But again, Mexican citizens cannot come into the U.S. to shop or visit family because those are not essential reasons. Now, Santiana says there are lots of people who normally come across the border, family members who can no longer visit the Texas side, and they used to buy things for their families or to, or to resell in Mexico. And now she's doing all that extra shopping to help her own family. She's a mother of eight, and she has many grandchildren and relatives in Mexico. But others may be relying on pasadoras. These are informal shoppers who take things across to supply individuals or small-scale merchants for a fee. Right. It's about those products, but it's also about services for people that do jobs. What are you seeing in terms of these informal workers? 
Yeah, the, the reality is there is a thriving informal labor market. And these are people who have border crossing cards that allow them to come across um, legally to visit and shop and, and do things, but they're not supposed to work. And uh, we all know that that is happening and has been happening for generations. Now, these can be day laborers, gardeners, maids. You know, these domestic workers are very important for providing child care and elder care that allows a lot of women on the U.S. side of the border to work full time. I clean houses over here. Yeah, that's what I do. I clean houses. So Marisol Marin is one of the the domestic workers, but she is a U.S. citizen, so she can work without any issues. She does jobs in El Paso, but lives in Juarez with her parents and three children. And on this day, she brought her little girl with her to El Paso. She's my daughter. What's her name? She's so cute. Camila. It's a beautiful name. How old is she? She's five. Now, Marie knows she's fortunate she's able to cross back and forth to work because she's a U.S. citizen, but she says there are plenty of people she knows in Juarez who can no longer come to El Paso to work because of the border travel restrictions. I mean, I feel sorry for them because a lot of people used to cross over here to work. So along with the people that are struggling, some are benefiting from the border shutdown. The global online shopping companies that are doing gangbusters business in the U.S. are also thriving in Mexico is what I'm hearing. Yeah, definitely. While we can't really track the informal economy as easily, we do know that there are really big winners uh, during this pandemic, especially uh, with the border shutdown. Amazon, Alibaba, and Mercado Libre, which is, is very popular in Latin America. Now, Paul, there are real concerns that these traditional cross-border p- buying patterns are changing And that will be a big blow to Texas retailers on the border and beyond if this persists after the border reopens. I've done stories on busloads of cowboy fans who come up from Monterey to games in Dallas. And so in this area of the border, you know, we do have a lot of those tourists, especially this time of year. We have mountains here and ski resorts. And so a lot of the Mexican families who celebrate the holidays take a vacation in the U.S. in our region, and they spend a lot of money on those vacations. So, I mean... Eight, nine months ago when this all went, you know, when this border policy was changed and the border was clamped down on to all but essential travel, we were told it would help contain the virus. Do we know if it did? Well, by the time the border was closed, the virus was already on both sides and there was community spread. So it's hard to say that shutting it down, what it really did. We don't know. We don't know who's not coming that may have had the virus or going into Mexico. You know, as we pointed out, U.S. citizens still cross into Mexico, so it's not a complete shutdown. But what we can say with certainty is that the virus is, uh, the cases are growing exponentially on both sides of the border, and we've also seen increased deaths in our region of El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. So it's, uh, it's, it's been devastating, and, and the border shutdown has hurt some people, and it's un- unclear how much it's helped uh, with, in terms of public health. And, Paul, it's really important to note that those travel restrictions are only for land borders or ports of entry, border crossings. So people can still hop on planes and go to and from Mexico. All right. Angela Kacherga, KTEP in El Paso, thanks so much for helping us out with this. Thank you, Paul. The border restrictions have impacts well beyond the border. As we just heard from Angela Kacherga, Mexican nationals travel into the U.S. to be tourists, ski, stay at our hotels, and of course shop. 
Most cities don't enjoy this yearly bump from Mexico, but for cities like San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, it's usually a buffer in bad economic times. But not this year. In San Antonio, 160 miles from the border, the shops at La Cantera, the open-air mall on the city's affluent northwest side, is largely empty. But it's pretty close to Christmas, and I think in a normal year, the parking lot would be pretty full, and, and it would be full with, you know, Mexican nationals. You, you, again, you could just walk around in a normal year and, and see the license plates, and you could see... Steve all, Niven is an know. economist and professor at St. Mary's University here in San Antonio. I met him at the shops because a study he did found San Antonio sees $374 million a year from these international shoppers. Of the $374 million, just in November and December, uh, it's about a little over $100 million of that spending is done in those two months. This year, some may choose to fly in rather than drive as they did in past years, but it's hard to say how many. As a policy, the shutdown's been controversial for its imbalance, as we've shown people can fly into the country instead of drive. Exports and imports across our land bridges have been unimpeded. In fact, trade with Mexico is up over last year right now, about 6%. And it's hard to say it's been successful. Infections continue to rise in cities on the border on both sides. It's not working. U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce President Ramiro Cavazo sees it as a failed policy and says the only real impact is killing small businesses. It is odd, and it, it seems to be uh, an action that is taken and extended every month to say that we're doing something about it. And he says, like the rhetoric of the entire Trump administration, it's about vilifying Mexico more than anything. It is not about COVID. COVID was used as an excuse by this administration to close the border. He says they need to end the shutdown. But ending the travel restrictions is a hard sell. On its face, limiting movement has been a mainstay of every public health recommendation. The border shutdown does that. And thousands of people are dying each day in this country from COVID-19. But experts say limiting movement alone can't stop it. And the border closure has so many arbitrary exceptions. Americans continue to cross unabated. Thousands of trucks and truck drivers pass weekly. And people can just fly instead of drive if they want. It's not hard to understand why the disease is raging on both sides of these border communities right now. And at the end of the day, the question becomes, does it make sense to focus the only federal enforcement action on poor Mexican families and border businesses? Does it really do anything at all? It sure doesn't seem like it. This has been The Shakeout from Texas Public Radio. Tune in to our next episode. The vaccine is here, but will Texans take it? And we get to stick our friend Michael Taylor with needles. Here's the part where I look away as the needle gets unveiled. <laughs> and I... You can go ahead and close your eyes. Yeah, what you're I'm gonna just going to look away. And... The Shakeout is produced by Ben Henry. It is edited by Kitty Isley. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. And TPR is shepherded by Joyce Slocum. I'm Paul Flav. Thanks for listening.